This is episode 542 of the Prepper Website Podcast, where I connect you with resources that will help you live a more self-reliant life so you can love your people, get prepared, and live free. Today's article, The Five Kind of Guns You Should Avoid Like the Plague. Hey, I'm Todd Sepulveda, the editor of PrepperWebsite.com. This podcast is an audible version, with some commentary, of articles that have been posted on Prepper Website, a daily curation of preparedness information. These articles are some of the best of the best that have been recently posted on PrepperWebsite.com. All article links and show information can be found on the PrepperWebsitePodcast.com. Hey everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Prepper Website Podcast. Our article today comes to us from ModernSurvivalOnline.com. And again, the title is The Five Kinds of Guns You Should Avoid Like the Plague. It's a very informative article, and it's kind of funny, so I think you're going to really like it. So let's go ahead and dig in. It's true that having a gun beats no gun at all, but that does not mean that any gun will do as well as another. In fact, guns, as with all tools and products of man, suffer from their fair share of losers, lemons, bad ideas, and poor performers. In fact, just like three-wheeled cars and submarines with walkout screen porches, Some entire categories of firearms are just plain bad ideas. Used for anything but self-defense, these guns may be okay. For occasional hobby or sport use, they will probably serve the average low-volume shooter just fine. But for self-defense, a crap gun can spell disaster with a capital D. That's especially bad when there are so many great guns to be had for prices high and low. Some folks may wind up with a poor quality gun because they were gifted it, inherited it, or bought it when they just flat out did not know better. After reading this article, you will not have that excuse, at least when it comes to a few kinds of guns. Below, you'll find info on what makes bad guns, well, bad, and a few categories of guns you should avoid at all costs unless you are a glutton for punishment. So let's define a bad gun. Whether a gun is good or bad will many times boil down to opinion. Guns have objectively measurable characteristics, both as individual pieces and as designs that can be assessed and analyzed to see how they measure up to competing designs. Accuracy, reliability, and durability are all important for any gun. Other factors like ergonomics and ease of servicing also play a part. How easy the gun is to use and how suited it is to its inherited role are also big elements in the broad rating of a gun. A target rifle that can barely hit a pie pan at 100 yards will never be seen as anything other than a terrible target rifle no matter how exemplary any of its other qualities are. That same rifle, if incredibly reliable, light, and easy to maintain, could be seen as a good, even great close quarters combat rifle. Of course, professionals, enthusiasts, and connoisseurs will argue merits endlessly over seemingly tiny or inconsequential perks and quirks, but the motto for judging a gun will often boil down simply to this, how well can this gun do what it is intended to do? Isn't it all just preference? No. Preference does play a part in all of our choices, even when we, or even what we prefer, is not strictly logical and rational. Sure, some knowledgeable, competent shooters may detest a well-liked and successful design 
over intrinsically personal or emotional reasons, but that does not change the fact that a good gun is a good gun. Similarly, our skilled savvy shooter may have a fondness, even a soft spot, for a certain gun that is known to be a bit less well regarded by the rest of the shooting world. That does not smooth over the lesser gun flaws either, a pig by any other name. So do keep in mind that when a gun is declared bad, it may refer to an individual or a design as a whole. Even the finest manufacturer that spares no expense in meticulously producing guns of legendary quality will, every now and then, turn out a lemon. That lemon does not make the line bad. The reverse is also true, as some designs are so poorly thought out, made or otherwise devised, that there is no amount of master craftsmanship that will make it perform well. Then you have a false positive situation. A gun of known lame design made by a manufacturer with a poor reputation for quality that against at all odds and common sense runs very well and even endears itself to its owner. Sadly, that one black sheet does not make the other 4,999 bad guns to roll off the line, quote unquote, good. In this article today, we are referring to guns that are bad, bad, bad as a class, not individuals that I had a bad time with once somewhere. So what flaws might a bad gun possess? A bad gun or design may be obviously deficient in some essential way, fussy or general lack of reliability being major flaws. A reputation for breaking easily, having a short lifespan, or being hard to use well, if it can be used well at all, are others. Another common culprit is lack of human engineering, hard to actuate controls and triggers and the like. Guns intended for a sector where accuracy is a must will be harshly derided if they fail to meet the standards of the day. Some guns may not seem to be lacking in any significant way, but are a case of being a solution looking for a problem. A gun that is too far outside common sense or conventional design as a tool intended for a specific set of circumstances. A gun's flaw and failings may not be readily apparent just by picking it up and running the action dry a few times or even shooting it. Some flaws take time to manifest or even become visible and that may mean many hundreds or even thousands of guns in the wild in the hands of shooters for them to be discovered. Some problems are retroactive, meaning what might have been a perfectly acceptable gun at one point in time is now rendered hopelessly terrible next to more modern or improved relatives in its category. The state of the art having changed so much, improved so radically, that the older alternative is now so out of date willfully choosing it is tantamount to negligence. So here's a note. In the next section, we'll take a look at some categories of guns you should absolutely positively avoid no matter what. At least you'll avoid them if you know what is good for you. It never fails though that even the most irredeemable category of guns has its users, even admirers and fans. One of your guns may be on this list. It might hurt to hear it or it may make you angry. You will probably want to tell me off. That's fine. And you're right, but let me explain my intent. Again, if you own or use one of these guns for fun as part of a collection or what have you, feel free to ignore me and go on happily. I am not the one to tell you how to enjoy yourself, and I have been known to collect a few odd ducks and poorly conceived weird ones myself. But 
If you use or are thinking of obtaining one of the following guns for self-defense or overall readiness, you must read and heed. Each of the following categories of guns have associated with them serious pitfalls when it comes to buying and relying on them. I will explain each of those shortcomings in detail in the corresponding sections. So don't go for my throat should you see your pet favorite name in a header. Try to keep an open mind and you might learn something the easy way before you have to learn it the fun way. Without any more disclaimers, disavowing, or disowning, enjoy the list of guns you should avoid like the plague below. Alright, so we're going to count down from number 5. Number 5 is the Cheapo AK Variants. Gasp, you say. How can he disparage the most reliable of reliable gun, the vaunted and loved AK? Why? An AK hammered together over a campfire is the most reliable artifact of man ever created and will outlast even the pyramids. Easy does it there, and I hate to rain on your parade, but AKs, especially cheap AKs, are fallible because they are made by man and their reputations as universally invincible and reliable rifles is what makes guns in this category so dangerous. Yes, it is generally accepted and correct that you can get a quality rifle of equivalent grade cheaper in the form of an AK than you can an AR. But the trouble starts when folks head out to their local gun shop or gun show and start thumbing through racks of $325 AKs thinking they will get a rifle that will carry them to the end and then some. The plain truth is that you can make anything too shoddily to work, even a design as robust, simple, and amicable to rough production as an AK. Guns in this class, as typified by the abysmal IO incorporated toasters, are simply made too poorly to be worth anything. Yes, they may shoot. Yes, they may even get through a whole magazine. But I can solemnly assure you the honeymoon period will be short-lived due to poor assembly, improper heat treating, mismatched parts, and a host of other issues. Companies like this frankly live and die off the backs of the romantic AK fans. The ones who think that you can put a bag of AK parts over a fire, hammer it good, pour it out, and enjoy a hard-running combat rifle after you spit on it and wipe it down with a greasy rag. You can make a primitive gun out of scrap and in short order with completely unskilled labor, but an AK is not one of them. Spend a little bit more and enjoy a rugged, reliable rifle that Klashnikov intended. Number four, Derringers. And I am not talking about just any small guns as they are often coined. Derringers, the real thing, are typically two-barreled break-action guns chambered in a variety of calibers that are intended for use as holdout or defensive pistols. They were at their most popular back in the days before the Wild West was tamed and have, for whatever reason, stayed with us today. I'll put my money on mystique and nostalgia alone. The problems with derringers for defense today, however, are, well, the problem with them is pretty much everything about them. Derringers are smallish, suffer from absolutely horrid ergonomics, and are single-action meaning they must be cocked for every shot. Once you have fired your piddly payload, the action is broken open with the barrels pivoting upward from the rear, and you must then deal with getting two chambers clear of brass and two live cartridges into them before closing the whole contraption and reacquiring a tenuous grip on the thing. 
These sins are compounded by many derringers being made to terrible standards, meaning that even these two shots will not be for sure. Caliber selection is anything from 22 all the way up to big 45s. That being said, the manufacturer of what is in all probability the most popular derringer today, Bond Arms, makes very, very high quality examples from good materials and by skilled craftsmen. That does nothing to alleviate the laundry list of flaws inherent to the Derringer class itself. If you need a tiny gun, other guns are smaller and still hold more ammo while being easier to shoot. If you don't mind the size of a larger Derringer, a modern revolver or pistol is light years ahead of them in shootability and will have triple to nine times the capacity. Derringers may be neat, cool, and historically significant, but they belong in the past, not in your holster. Number three, anything in 25 ACP pistol. In a word, 25s are the single worst caliber for self-defense. Even the diminutive 22 long rifle is a better performance than this wimpy thing. The quality of 25 ACP guns varies as with all guns, but their standing as worst of the worst is not helped by the typical class of guns chambering it tiny diminutive pocket guns that are usually possessed of terrible triggers. So in addition to having lackluster ballistic performance, and that was not hyperbole, 22 long rifles actually penetrate more deeply and do so more consistently than 25s across most loadings. It will be very, very tricky to shoot them well enough to deliver even that minuscule wound to a perp. Even when encountered in the highest quality example of the breed, the Beretta 950 Jetfire, it is not enough to save this cartridge as anything but worse. If you are considering one and need a tiny, low recoiling pistol, get a 22 version instead as most companies that offer or offered a 25 made a 22 also. If you are looking at larger 25, get either a 380 ACP or 9mm. If you still need lowered recoil, go ahead and get a large 22. Before some of you chime in about the purported reliability, rather lack thereof, or rimfire cartridges and see the centerfire 25 as the air apparent in the mouse gun class, understand that ammunition quality, not priming system, is today the single greatest earmark of cartridge reliability. It might have been different 60 years ago, but a modern 22 pistol firing high quality loads, not bulk pack fodder, is shockingly reliable under most conditions. At any rate, this does nothing to help the poor downtrodden 25 avoid this one. All right, number two. Some of you might uh, feel like this one might not be on there, but he makes some good points here. Number two, the 410 shot shell firing handguns. These have been around a little longer than most people think, but have been made widely popular by the Taurus judge, raging judge, circuit judge, and whatever other variant, as well as the Me Too competitor from Smith & Wesson, the governor. On paper, these handzookas look like terrific defensive implements. The hit potential afforded by shot with the capability afforded by 45 Colt. What a combo. The reality is bleaker. Very wide, sparse patterns and significant liability when utilizing shot shells and an overly large, clunky 5-shot 45 
when using bullets. The Taurus versions are additionally not renowned for durability. The Smith & Wesson Governor is made better, but both suffer from heavy triggers, great bulk, and significant weight. Still, these guns have their advocates. Some people are mesmerized by the idea of a 410 shot shell issuing forth from a handgun and are zealous believers in it as a man-stopper, even though those same folks will likely turn their nose up at the idea of a 410 shotgun for home defense. Ammo companies, being enormous capitalists and eager to sell ammo, responded with a line of quote-unquote optimized 410 handgun loads featuring zany combinations of buck and ball or even little disgust-like projectiles. The idea is plainly a poor one. If you desire a shotgun for home defense, get a shotgun, not some handgun shooting snake oil shells. You could carry one of these off-stoked with proper 45 Colt loads and have a good time of it. But in that case, you are still left adrift with a gun entirely too large and awkward compared to virtually every other competitor. All right, and number one, the pistol grip only shotgun. Oh no, he didn't. Yes, I'm afraid I did. The stockless shotgun has long been the guilty pleasure and apple of my eye of much of the shooting world since, well, since forever. There is something undeniably attractive about a short, handy, nimble shotgun that can blast forth a storm of deadly buckshot. The relatively recent introduction of the Mossberg Shockwave and Remington TAC-14 series is all the proof you need. These things sell like crazy. Maybe it is all of their cumulative appearances in movies, TV shows, and video games. Maybe it is the raw appeal of lightness and raw destructive capability. Whatever it is, it is universally a poor choice for defense. There is nothing mechanically wrong with PGO shotguns, and they will in general be as reliable as a given make of their long-barreled and full-stock brethren. Even cries of poor patterns and velocity loss fall short. Sorry. As a properly shortened barrel or factory-made one can still produce shockingly good patterns with appropriate load selection. No, the issue with the PGO shotgun is that they are very, very difficult to shoot well without a ton of practice, even at their intended optimum range, which is nearly bad breath distance. Without a stock to provide a third point of contact stabilizing the gun enough, in front of the shooter's face for aimed fire is challenging requiring both a fair bit of strength and nerve. Recoil with these little guns is stout and a failure to manage it will result in a loss of control and perhaps even striking yourself in the face. The obvious cool guy alternative is to shoot from the hip. After all, how can you miss when you are so close? And the spray of pellets is nearly unavoidable, right? Wrong. Unlike the juggerners up there, these short-barreled guns still require a pretty surprising degree of precision to hit with a close range, and shooting from the hip is a poor plan for delivering that precision. Even with considerable practice, most shooters will not attain speed and accuracy enough to make that a worthwhile endeavor. They are incredibly cool and have utility as breaching tools, but for most shooters, they are a bad idea for a defensive piece unless you plan to put an appropriate pistol brace on them. So in conclusion, not all guns will make the grade and pass muster to serve their owners 
well in the brutal intricacies of a fight. If you are choosing a gun for self-defense, you must be calculating and logical in your selections. Do not let a bargain, a sentiment, or glamour sway you into picking one that will set you up for failure. The stakes are too high. All right, guys, like I said, a good post there. And I know that there are a lot of listeners, new listeners to the podcast, right? People coming into preparedness. And you might find that it's a good idea to have something for self-defense. You might be looking at all the craziness that's going on in the world and, or, you know, maybe even in your state, your, your community. And you're like, you know what, if somebody came into my house or my home, how would I defend myself? Right. And so you might be looking at owning a firearm. And so I would highly recommend just don't go out there. I mean, when you just don't go out there and buy just anything, right. When you get on the internet and you go into like firearm forums, you start reading articles Man, there are so many different opinions out there. People have, you know, all kinds of ideas when it comes to firearms. But you really want to get out there and you want to get some really good advice and you want to shoot the thing yourself. I know plenty of women because I worked in in, in the school and they would go and they're like, hey, uh, you know, my uh, my husband bought me a firearm or my father. You know, at one point there was this young teacher and uh, she, you know, just brand new into teaching. She had an apartment by herself. Um, her parents lived up north and they bought her uh, a firearm, right? And so her dad knew what he was doing and took her and, and you know, to the range. They, they picked out the right one. And I think it was like a nine millimeter. It might have been, you know, a Smith, Smith & Wesson, if I'm not mistaken. But then there was somebody else who, I guess, heard about that and, you know, told her husband, hey, I want a pistol too. They went out and she got one that was, you know, nice and small for her hands. It was a 380, and she went to go shoot it. I think she shot it like two or three times, and then it, there was so much recoil, it freaked her out, and she couldn't, you know, she never shot it again, right? So you want to go with someone who knows what they're doing that can, you know, help you find the right pistol. So if you have a friend who is really into firearms and knows what they're really talking about, not just because they're reading it online, but really knows what they're doing, then ask them to go with you, you know, go to the firing range and shoot some of their pistols, buy, buy ammo and go shoot some of their pistols. And if you don't have someone, it's always a good idea to find a, you know, a gun range or, you know, a a shop that has a range that you can say, Hey, look, I'd like to test out pistols and find out which one is, is right for me. So a lot of them, I know that there's a couple close to me that will, allow you to rent out different guns, right? You tell them what you want. They bring out a couple of different ones and, you know, they'll help you size them and make sure they feel good. And then you can rent those out for, you know, cheap and relatively cheap compared to buying a a pistol. And then you go shoot those and maybe you get some lessons on, you know, they, you pay for some lessons on maybe proper, you know, hand placements and, and all that kind of stuff. So you feel real comfortable comfortable about it. And then you go make a good purchase. You know, a good, decent firearm, you're going to make, you know, you're going to spend four or five, I don't know, I don't know what they are now, you know, five, six hundred dollars, right, on a good pistol. And uh, I think, I, man, last time I priced Glocks, it's been so long ago. I think it was maybe, you know, 550, 650, I don't know. Anyway, 
So you're going to spend that amount of money on a decent pistol, right? So why wouldn't you just want to put spend a little bit of money to get the right one? You don't want to just go for the cheap one, right? And so if you're in that situation, it just makes sense to spend a little bit of time and a little bit of money to find the right one that you will enjoy shooting and that you will feel comfortable picking up if someone was to break into your home and you needed to defend yourself. You want to feel comfortable with that, right? So anyway, like I said, I thought this was a, a fun article. There's, you know, things that you should, uh, you know, read there. Those judges, man. I mean, there's always one of those, you know, things that you, you go see at the, at the gun shows when you're walking around. You know, it's one of those humongous guns. And it's like, yeah, you can put 410 and 45s, the best of both worlds, but completely correct, man. They're so huge, so heavy. And uh, then all the other stuff here. Just, a, just a, a fun article to read. So like always, I'm going to link to this article from Modern Survival Online in the show notes. You can go check it out. A lot of the times when you have articles on firearms, there's a lot of conversation. There's a lot of comments. So you can come and check those out as well. Well, everyone, that is it for episode 342. Hey, don't forget to subscribe to the show. Head on over to theprepperwebsitepodcast.com. And that way you never miss another episode of Sweet Prepper Goodness. And take a moment to connect with me. I have a ton of ways to connect in the show notes. And with that, choose to live a more self-reliant life. Choose not to be so dependent on the government, grid, or the grind. Until tomorrow, stay prepped and aware. Peace.